I'm Sean Fennessy, Editor-in-Chief of The Ringer, and this is The Big Picture. Very special week at The Ringer this week. It is Superhero Week. We did rank all of the superhero movies. We are writing about superheroes in sophisticated ways. We did draft all of the superheroes in order. And we're making more superhero content. Here to talk with me about the future and the past of superhero movies. Very pleased to be joined by Ringer staff writer Jason Concepcion. Hello. And Ringer art director and podcaster and wrestling columnist and man about town, David Shoemaker. Man about town. Wow. Rack on tour. Man about office? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I, I, I do the laps around the office complex with some frequency. That's true. So, David and Jason, you guys are here because you, like me, uh, are longtime comic book fans and yes. also serious watchers and purveyors of comic book movies. Sure. And yes. I wrote in a column earlier this week that superhero movies, in a lot of ways, are really the only movies now. They're the only movies of serious consequence in mm-hmm. movie studios. Before we talk about where these movies are going, though, there's kind of a lot to understand about where they've been and how we got here. So, Jason, let's start a little bit by talking about when the superhero movie moment really first started. This is just my perspective, but I feel like the first uh, superhero movie that really set the tone for what we consider the modern era of superhero films is is Blade, 1998, uh, starring Wesley Snipes as a daywalker which is a vampire that can walk in the daytime. His mother was bitten by a vampire, gave birth to him. Uh, The full turning process uh, was halted, and he now hunts uh, vampires through the day and the night. Um, That movie was kind of a surprise success, and just it proved something about the genre that was kind of taken for granted at the time, which is you can combine a genre film with a superhero film Mm. and use that to elevate a character that really – has no mainstream, uh, uh, no kind of mainstream profile at all. You right. know, Blade is not even a C level character. I mean, would you say, Dave? Like, no. I, don't, I don't even know what a Blade. What's the Blade's best arc? I was try, I, trying to recreate the, the history. I mean, he certainly had a moment back in that, right. like, in the in, com, in the in you know in the comic book shop back in like the kind of the ghostwriter heyday, which would have been right. just before that. The sort of like Mark Teixeira, is Mark Teixeira draw was that is that or is that a bad? He was hitting it? home runs. That was, yeah. wait, who was the who was the comic book artist? Teixeira, the, the, uh, that was just drawing everything back then in this like super muscled out inky style. Um, he did a lot of ghostwriter and and Black Panther and. I'm sure he did some Blade covers, but anyway, yeah, he had a he had a moment when everything was dark and grim in comic yeah. books, and they were kind of like reaching back into the archives to see what they had. But I mean, that's he he's a level of genre that's always had difficulty sticking, even in comic books, where this there's is, this, all this space for everything. Yes. And this is ten full years before Iron Man, a Marvel yes. property, comes along, and it's, it, there is something kind of random, but also prescient, I think, about specifically what Jason is describing, which is. You know, this is the collision of a genre movie with a superhero movie, yeah. which is kind of where we find ourselves now. But back then, why, why did that movie even happen? Was it because they could get Wesley Snipes and he was still a movie I star? I think it's Wesley Snipes looking for properties. I mean, looking for creating roles for himself. Mm-hmm. $131.2 million on a $45 million budget in 1998. And two years later, you get the, the Brian Singer-helmed X-Men movie, the first mm-hmm. X-Men of that trilogy uh, in 2000. And that really, that approach is really the kind of what the standard approach for superhero films was up until that time, which was you do take the most popular heroes. The X-Men certainly were the Marvel's most popular heroes going back to the mid-70s and the Chris Claremont run, and introduce them all at once. Yeah. Here's, the, here's the Wolverine uh, 
you know, here's how here's how Wolverine came to be. Here's Rogue. Here's uh, Professor X, and you have to introduce all these characters, and somehow, hopefully, in the third act of the movie, you've built up enough momentum where they can <laughs> there can be some kind of fight against the villain who and, you also have to introduce. Uh, yeah, momentum and also identification. I mean, it's really difficult to introduce twelve characters in a film and yeah. have anybody care about <laughs> yes. them. But in the craziest, thing, I mean, Andrew, Andy, and Chris talked about this on the watch this week that it was so mind blowing that that movie was made that yeah. they actually did one for us. That that I mean, I was. Super excited about this. Right? Incredibly I was, like, so, I was just so, so into it. But at the same time, I mean, in retrospect, when I was ranking these movies for part of the, you know, as our superhero movie ranking project, I mean, there's none of those X-Men movies have any hold any place in my heart. I yeah, guess you could go like First Class. I saw, had a certain like style that That's I a liked. Fun movie, yeah. uh, and, and the more recent ones, you know... I'm I'm interested to see them sort of playing catch up. We'll get into that later, but like, and that's that's interesting to me. But yeah, I mean, it was it was dire. Uh, the, the casting was straight out of like Wizard magazine. Remember when Wizard used to have the casting? That's my segment? favorite I, column. My I, yeah. favorite magazine. But they just column. took. They just did like half yeah. of the movie was that. And yes. I remember thinking, uh, this is a this is an interesting point that you bring up because uh, we don't talk about the casting in the same way. I remember back then as. Uh, as the first X-Men film was getting into production, there was all this, like, who's going to be Wolverine? Is it going to be Glenn Danzig? I remember that was, like, oh, one yeah. of the really crazy ones that was thrown out But Patrick out there. Stewart had, yeah. been, had been Professor Xavier for years, yeah. Wizard <laughs> was saying. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. has to be Professor yeah. X. Even then, I remember when they announced the movie, I felt like he had already aged out of <laughs> Professor Xavier, <laughs> yes. and now he's still doing the role, like, yes. 45 years later. I'm well, that, that's an interesting thing, right? Because that is sort of the first tip towards world building and right. fan service, right. which is something that these movies started to live and die by, right? Yeah. For a long time that was the that was the most difficult obstacle for these movies right. is that you had to be fully authentic, I mean fully true to the to the source material and yet sort of find uh, a, a broader audience. I guess the the flashpoint of all this where it really came where it seemed like a bigger deal than most or at least in the mainstream media was Watchmen because it was a concise, I mean it was one graphic novel. Oh yeah, it was yeah. And Zack Snyder was I mean that's my favorite Zack Snyder superhero endeavor for sure. Um, but he was low just, bar, but uh, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, but he was just like, I'm going to, I'm just going to follow that. And there was a, and you know, he was able to, uh, I mean, Dave Gibbons is one of the great comic book illustrators, yes. but is a very low key sort of British style that all the panels in the book were the same size. It was more, you know, it, it was more of like a structural feat than any sort of like great artistic expression in the way that we're used to as comic book fans, at least. I don't know. I really like that movie, but it was very, very true to the source material. But he, but he had in some ways. Uh, an easier job because there was a limit to the source material. Right. That is the opposite of kind of the direction that Marvel in particular went, but even DC too. I mean, we should talk about how there are th- essentially three competing universes yes. in, yeah. this, in this world, right? So we tip towards X-Men, which is the sort of Fox, X-Men, mm-hmm. Fantastic Four to some extent universe. They own a certain set of properties. Those movies are all produced by Fox. Then there's the Marvel MCU, right. which launches shortly thereafter. Jason, I'll let you break that down for us. And now we're sort of moving into an extended DC universe that that began with Christopher Nolan in 2005. With Batman Begins, sort of. Sort of. Well, you, you would imagine if, if DC had any inkling of what Marvel was to create uh, five years later, that they would have jumped on this shared universe IP right away. The disadvantage that that DC is in is that Batman as their emblematic character is this really kind of dour, all black and grays, very visceral street level character. And you get the feeling that they've kind of wedded themselves to a certain style with him. What do I mean by that is, I mean, if you look at those X-Men movies 
going up to the Batman movies, there's a almost a complete lack of color there. They're very abashed to be like, this is a comic book movie. Like, where's the where are the comic book costumes? They, no, we can't do that. We have mm-hmm. to do these leather costumes yeah. for the X Men. Batman is the same way. It's, we have to make it look really like we have to tone down what those late '90s Batman films are and just make it a black armor suit and just make it like that. Whereas Marvel was. The code part of what, how they cracked the code was they were able to just tap into what uh, was absolutely authentic about their characters. Yeah. I've sa- I've been saying for I feel like years now that the two most uh, central things that Marvel the MCU got right that yeah. that they that no one else has got right before is one self awareness and yeah. and, the, and the inherent and the built in sense of humor that comes with that and two it seems so simple but all of the costumes have a reason right right they're either wearing armor. Or, I mean, if they're not, okay, they're either all wearing tactical outfits, which right. would, I mean, I know real people don't wear Hawkeye's outfit, but, you know, it's either <laughs> yeah. t- it's either tactical outfits or Captain America's, like, red, white, and blue is what he wore as a pro- on propaganda posters right. in World War II, and he puts it back on in one movie, but he's in tactical. And then everything else is Iron Man armor or stuff yes. that, Iron, that Tony Stark makes. It's like, it's so, like, it, it seems like such a small thing, but it just helps with the suspension of disbelief so much that it's not like, why is Wolverine wearing yellow and blue or why is he not? Both of those questions are really like they're really irritating. Well, certainly part of that you have to credit to like the rise of Kevin Feige as I guess you would say like the creative pre- creative force behind the MCU movies. He started as a like an assistant producer on those X Men films and was put in charge of these properties and was able to mold what were essentially a list of B characters. I mean, Captain America is an important character. In the Marvel Universe, yeah. but outside of that was seen as kind of this hokey throwback. Sure. Tony Stark, what's his best arc? What's the best Tony Stark know. story? Isn't I mean, it the the slip into alcoholism? More than once, but, but yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the original, the, the 1970s version right. of it. And that's, two, that's like two issues, two or three. Is it's, it? uh, yeah. it's not even that. And, and, you know, obviously Black Widow, another important character who's no profile outside of the MCU. These were characters that when they were announced post-Iron Man as uh, going to be part of the shared universe, people were like, "Ah, you know, is that even going to be a thing? I mean, that was um, Zack Snyder when said when when Watchmen was coming out, like Captain America movie. What? Thor? This is crazy. You know, I can't believe Iron Man made three hundred million dollars. Like who who wants this? Um, And that was like not to take shots at Zack Snyder, but that was really. That was absolutely the common perception of these characters at the time, that no one would want to see these characters. I had a very similar reaction to it, too. I mean, I have no relationship to Thor whatsoever. I've never read a Thor book in my life, and I don't think I ever will. And yet somehow, I think one of the five best Marvel movies ever now is the Thor movie that came out two weeks ago. And they had to get to two bad movies to get there. Well, that's just it. Yeah. yeah, Two different things. One, I mean, the the disadvantage that DC's under is is part of it is just reps. Like, if they could, if you would ask them if they could have, if they could be, 15 movies deep, but no one would give it. Rotten Tomatoes had them all under 45%. (laughs) They would take that because you go see a movie. Part of it is just the, it's like with comic books. It's like, I know X-Men's going to last forever, so I can get in now and not feel like I'm going to miss out on, you know, I'm not going to be let down. All of these, none of these Marvel characters have great, you know, there's not, we're so spoiled by some of the good comic book writing that's that's happened in the past decade. You don't even realize that, like, 
Brian K. Vaughn has the has wrote Doctor Strange's the, the Oath, one really good graphic novel that sort of retells the backstory and everything else. There's not a lot of good Doctor Strange unless you're no, just really into all. trippy '70s stuff or right. whatever. Not like Superman had like Red Sun is commonly referred to as like the greatest Superman. That's <laughs> right. like an Elseworld story about right. him landing. And I mean, there's just not a lot of with outside of Batman and you know Wolverine. It's these really kind of attractive characters. There's not a lot of great stories to even talk about, especially with the stuff that Marvel was dealing with when they launched the MCU. And Thor was. You know, there was some trippy Walt Simons and stuff, but and Jason Aaron has done amazing work yeah. over the past five years or whatever. But Ragnarok is certainly influenced by the Jason Aaron stuff. Yeah, yeah, but before, but you're right. I mean, the the allure of I don't even know. I mean, I don't know what the Thor audience was. I said earlier it was the guys who owned the comic book shop, you know, and re, and and played Dungeons and Dragons. That was me. But you know, <laughs> you've hit on something that is really important though, which is that these movies I think satisfy comic book fans enough yeah. mm-hmm. and effectively draw in everyone else. Right. So I don't. I'm I'm still not totally sure how they've done that, and maybe we should explore that a little bit. But it doesn't matter that most people didn't have a relationship with Thor because what they were able to make a relationship with was Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Mm. And the look of that character yeah. and what. That character could represent inside an Avengers movie, right? Yeah, I mean the Hemsworth thing is really interesting because he wasn't the household name that he is now when he signed up, right? So Marvel's done a really good job of finding, at least in the first wave, of finding sort of underserved or young up-and-coming actors and putting them in these roles. I mean, if someone had showed you the roster of the Avengers, you would have said, you know, Scarlett Johansson is the by far the most famous or vital person right now. Robert Downey Jr. Was it sort of a, you know, that was a crapshoot when Iron Man 1 came out. Certainly he was really famous in his way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, it, to, to find those actors at that right moment, it's the sort of deal that they make. Chris Hemsworth knows I'm going to be, you know, a household name because of this Thor role, and then I can grow my career because of that, and it becomes this symbiotic, no venom pun intended, relationship that, ma- that kind of real heads. Rising, yeah, yeah. rising tides, lifting all boats, and all that stuff. Well, yeah. I think that... The really amazing thing that they were able to do coming off of Iron Man was build a brand awareness that superseded the individual movies. Like Thor was treated as a loss leader, essentially. Yeah. This is how we're going to get to Avengers. Forget that it's bad. It's getting to Avengers and squatting on weekends. That's Just it. saying I mean, we're going we're gonna to do four of these a year or three of these a year. I mean, people cared almost more about the stinger scenes in Thor. How is uh-huh. this going to link with the rest of the MCU? How yeah. are they going to do this? Then they really did about the movie. Like, that was what that was that forward momentum. And as they got deeper into their films, the second wave, that's when you really started to see the strength of this structure, which is you're freed from the tyranny of having to introduce these guys all the time. Yes. You know, you're not no more having to shoot uh, Batman's parents again. No more Peter Parker bit by the the spider again. Let's we know who these guys are. Yeah. Let's move it forward towards the Avengers For- film and then when the Avengers film happens, we don't need to introduce these people. It's just action all the way through. This is a big part of this conversation. Yeah. Specifically because there have now been since Blade came out f- I think four different, maybe three different but maybe four different Batmans mm-hmm. in our lifetime. Right. There's only been one Thor. There's only been one Captain yep. America, one Iron Man, yeah. all of the Lynchman characters. Likewise, on the Fox side, there have now been three Spider-Mans. Yeah. There have now been two Magnetos. There have now been two Professor Xs. There's about to be a new Logan. And because of this, like that, the, the way that MCU is birthed is still in place. It's like a Fabergé egg. You know what I mean? It is still like a precious piece. And, you know, when we talk about the future of this stuff on the second half, I think we need to get into a little bit of like what happens when that egg gets cracked because it's going to be cracked at some point. But do you think that the success of movies like the Thor movie are 
simply because they've created a culture around Mm -hmm. the MCU or are they because there's something better about these movies than we're willing to acknowledge? I'm stepping on your toes here. There's a broader movie industry thing. I mean, a situation where you said you you wrote that they're the only movies that matter right now. To a certain extent, there's no – like every movie gets a two-week window of people paying attention to it. It's right. just like some movies are seem like louder and more urgent, and and that's what the superhero movies are capable of doing. It's like everybody's going to go see this, so I'm definitely going to go, you know, in my very brief opportunity to go see this movie. We talked about this a little before we started recording, but there is this sort of like high floor, right? I mean, who knows what the ceiling is for superhero movies, right. but there's a certain expectation – of just baseline quality and enjoyment, right? right? Like when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, when was the last time that you had seen like just even a fulfilling space odyssey, and, right? I mean, it had been so long and you knew that it was going to be at least like a B, a B plus. And we should also acknowledge like what an incredible flex that was on Marvel's part to be like, here is a superhero team that you've <laughs> never heard of. You've never heard of Rocket Raccoon. You don't know who this is like unless like you think it's a Beatles song. Yeah. You've never heard of these guys. The the selling point on that movie was Marvel Goes to Space. Yeah. That's it. And that movie did 300 something million dollars based on characters that nobody had any awareness of. Yeah, we're going to cast a wrestler. We're going to take this guy from Parks and Rec. He's going to do sit-ups, I swear. Like right. it was it was a big gamble. That was it was the brand and that was really the movie where I thought, "Oh man, they can they're printing money now." Now they're going to that's I mean, you do Ant-Man after that cuz you're just like, "Yeah, let's do Ant-Man." I think in some ways that is among their most beloved movies too, yeah. which is what's really interesting. When when Taika Waititi was in here uh, a few weeks ago to talk about Thor, yeah. I asked him what was the scariest part about doing this, and he was he said just they're sixteen for sixteen. Yeah. They have not failed in any of their movies. Now we can quibble about the sure. quality of a Thor movie or which <laughs> Captain America movie is the most effective or the most like a seventies thriller, and we can talk about that too. But they all of these movies have made more money than they cost, and they're established in the canon now of this MCU. Yeah, and at some point there, there's going to be one that doesn't. I mean, sure. that's yes, that's, sort of the, that's the wild card, right? I mean, we talk, I talked, we both discussed, you know, the sort of making of stars. They've they've made these characters. There was, you know, there's all these stories that like, you know, about how little they they paid the actors in the first, at least in phase one, right? Of course. And then yeah. you know, Robert Downey Jr. sort of blew that up when he when he renego- <laughs> and all of them, I'm sure, blowing it up now for every additional Avengers movie. Um, but the expectations are higher. I mean, even if they did. If they if they you know re, if they did something else that's like Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm not sure that that era of Chris Pratt is big enough to anchor that movie anymore. Because yeah. that because that and certainly for you know directors, they're still they're still bringing directors along. They have Kevin Feige. They have this sort of infrastructure that's helping you know that that makes that gives you the confidence that they're going to be good. Also, you can have a director that has never done CGI before and just say like we got you. Right. You know, we, come we, there's, right. There's the infrastructure is in place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a different world and and going forward, there's different expectations. And I think that, like, like I said, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. will, will conceivably keep coming back for $30 million, you know, for every cameo that he does. But, you know, maybe there's going to be a movie where like that, that Robert Downey Jr., but the Robert Downey Jr. budget puts the movie in the red. And then what, what do they do next? Let's hold that thought before we go to the future of Marvel and talk a little bit about the two other properties and what has happened for them in the last 10 years while Marvel has had this ceaseless, you know, (laughs) accumulation of brand loyalty and return business. There's the Fox X-Men films, which I think qualitatively are probably up and down at best. 
Um, and then there's DC, which was in a little bit of a stasis mode, I think, through the completion of Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, right. where they had to let that finish before they could officially go to the next stage of what they wanted to do. So where are these two? Where are those two? brands at, for lack of a better word, those two studio executions. We're talking kind of on the eve of Justice League. So that's, I mean, that's where the DCU is right now. I mean, there's everything except for, I mean, I guess Suicide Squad is, is slightly its own separate thing. But, you know, certainly they're spinning these movies off, supposedly with Joker and Harley Quinn and everything else. But for the, but, you know, the, 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 the center of the DCU is, um, I mean, it's crazy to say the center of the DC universe right now is Wonder Woman and then yes. and, and the Justice League outside of that. I mean, you, I, I, none of us have seen the movie yet, but you look at the trailers and the stills. I mean, Wonder Woman is the is this is the center of gravity of the movie. I mean, that her, she and Ben Affleck is Batman, but he's already talking about not being I mean, ending his reign as Batman. <laughs> <laughs> so and then, you know, Superman is it's sort of insane the degree to which they've been leaning on him to be a tentpole, but also like sort of acknowledging the fact that he's not a character that anybody likes. I mean, that's the role that that, that he's playing. Yeah. I get the impression he's just not going to be in the first hour of that movie. Right. Yeah. Um, the, it, the, the, the Superman issue in particular is interesting because yeah. I think Cavill's actually a pretty good Superman. I don't love those movies. Mm-mm. And I think most people don't love those movies. However, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Man of Steel are both very successful. They made a lot of money. They're critically maligned. But they did start to do the work of begin this new era, I guess, for DC. Uh, it shows how critic-proof these films are on a micro sense. But in a macro sense... This tidal wave of uh, critical lambasting certainly has yeah. taken its toll, like on the cultural relevance of the films. And it's, you know, DC is in this weird defensive crouch where, on the one hand, they scored the first real hit of, you know, the aughts, the post aughts with the, the Nolan Batman films. Excellent movie trilogy, critically lauded, great cultural relevant film, incredible reimagining of Batman put into the modern era, but also standalone. So therefore, this kind of like outmoded thinking, they had to let run its course while Marvel was like busy building this cathedral to to comics. And then Marvel got to set the tone that people uh, engage with. In the genre, which is this kind of jokey, self-referential, light-hearted thing. And then DC is stuck with this kind of dour, grim yeah. uh, Batman, the gritty universe. And so when it came time to you know, maybe switch gears, lighten the, lighten the tone a little bit, now they're going to be accused of – now, oh, OK, you're, you're, ripping off, you're ripping off Marvel now if well, you do that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true, and I think that you know, without writing on it too much, because I, 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 you know, enjoy comic book movies sort of full stop. But the way that they, you know, the the Nolan movies were a success. I think that, yeah, in my opinion, it was a mistake to to build the entire universe, you know, on the tone and production style of those movies. But, yes, but there was also but you understand, it, like, I understand, I understand why, why they did it. Yeah, but there's also that I remember. I, f- I feel like I remember when they announced the broader DCU cinematic universe, and it was Nolan and Snyder, and it felt a whole lot like. These are like the two most famous movie makers that will involve themselves in our product, which is contrary to the Marvel's Marvel's technique, which DC could have stolen, which was we're just going to make these movies and we're going to find people who will make them. And that is the lesson, I think, of Wonder Woman's success, which is Patty Jenkins has chosen to make that movie. She's only made one movie in the last 10 years. Now, granted, it's a very critically acclaimed film and Mm -hmm. won Charlize Theron an Oscar. But she is she that choice is the Marvel blueprint. Yeah. And Zack Snyder is not. And now I, I think, Jason, you make a great point about tonal confusion of where yeah. DC finds itself, especially given that Justice League 
was finished by Joss Whedon, That's who was the writer-director mm-hmm. yes. of the Avengers film, after Zack Snyder had a tragic uh, incident in his family. Sure. And now Joss Whedon style, this kind of whiz-bang, TV-born, right. snappy dialogue is going to find itself inserted into a grim, right. grunge, darkened well, DC universe. onto the top somehow. The parallel, I mean, we talked about, we've all talked about this before, but the, the parallel is Brian Michael Bendis being hired onto the DC, in, yeah. in, as a writer for DC so Comics. So explain who Bendis is. Yeah. Brian, Brian Michael Bendis is one of the most influential, uh, if not the most influential comics writer over the past decade or so. Certainly, but, yeah. yeah. Like, he's just had his hand in so many arcs, so many. And, and Marvel, specifically. So, at, at Marvel specifically. He set the tone for what Marvel is today. But he, but he kind of made his name writing a Spider-Man series, but not the, not, not the action, no, you're right, not right. Not Amazing Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, which took place in this parallel reality. This guy Miles Morales was Spider-Man instead of Peter Parker. And it was this very conversational, very – the dialogue jumped off the page. And it got yeah. – there's a lot of people who I think at some point were sort of worn down by this sort of this dialogue a lot of dialogue. In Brian Michael Bendis uh, comics, there is a lot of di- – there's a lot of dialogue balloons. You'll yeah. see sometimes like – 20 uh, panels with just dialogue balloons. Right. It's not yeah. like, it's not the old like pop art style of like right. one one dialogue balloon per face. It was, right, right. Just, there's like 20 per face and yeah. they're just eating each other all over the page. But it's this really smart, snappy and very character driven and, um, and just very sort of like upbeat, not, not overly political, but certainly just sort of like a modern, you know, vaguely liberal tone to everything. And gently and woke. Yeah. Gently yeah. woke. Gently woke is a good way of putting it. And just like very much set the norm for what Marvel was in the 21st century. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot, there's a lot of variety to, the, to, to writing at Marvel Comics. But DC Comics, on the other hand, had a, a much narrower self-definition. Not to their detriment. They're, you know, in the, over the past couple years or the past year at least, there are a lot of people that say they're doing it better than Marvel yeah. by just sticking to the basics. And the basics are, you know, by their definition, it's basically like like 90s comic books. Like, in very much in the same style of the the way they're doing the movies, it's this, like, gritty... Uh, gritty is the word. It's like yeah. the moment when comic books started being described as gritty, when every comic book cover was, like, the Punisher with, like, 5,000 bullet casings <laughs> on the front and, like, die-cut blood. You yeah. know, like, that was... Like, that is... That's the mode of you know the D, the main the big time DC comics and it's sort of the movies too and and that's why it's interesting well, that they would bring Bendis in like you if they're gonna make a big if they're gonna make a big buy it would almost I'm trying to I don't even know what the example would be but it but it's like you know you could imagine them you could imagine them finding a you know just novelist or a mo- a screenwriter a screenwriter who was just like kind of fits the mold better and spending all their money on that. Um, Bendis is is very very not the DC model, and the fact that they're bringing him in is a is a really transformative, potentially transformative move for them. I want to talk more about what Bendis will mean, but first, let's get a word from our sponsor. Sure. Today's show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. What if hiring could be easier? more streamlined and less time-consuming. So even when you're busy, you can still be smart about the way you hire. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting, so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you, it finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And the easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish, all in one place. 
ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash 33. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash 33. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash 33. Back here with Jason Concepcion and David Shoemaker, we are talking about the past and the future of superhero movies. David, you were just explaining what Brian Michael Bendis' hire at DC is going to mean for those books. What is it going to mean for those movies? You know, it's interesting. There's not a, a Kevin Feige of at least known with that amount of power over the DC yeah. Warner Brothers thing. Uh, Jeff Johns has taken on a lot of that role since he's sort of stepped back from from uh, Justice League writing the writing the comic book side. Um, and may, you know, I'm sure there's somebody that I'm not aware of or that I'm forgetting. It, I mean, it, it bears mention that Bendis was on this sort of like creative committee of comic book writers on the Marvel right. side, right. and that and that got blown up a year or a couple years ago, however yes. long ago that was, over dis- over disagreements uh, allegedly about uh, the kind of the wokeness. Of the current Marvel line, this is these are reports, but yeah. nothing confirmed. There's a lot of rumors, and, and, and a lot of it was just that they wanted to be more involved than they were, and right. the whole thing had sort of run its course. So it doesn't surprise me at all that Bendis, of all the of all of the comic book writers of his level, he may have made like the least Hollywood money to this point in his career. Sure. So like certainly, there's probably he probably has his eye on some other thing, you know, on on a bigger portfolio. It's interesting that that's happening at the moment that Zack Snyder's office has been moved off the Universal. Sure. I mean, moved off the Warner Brothers lot. That uh, that you know, Wonder Woman has emerged. I mean, the movie has emerged as sort of the template for the DC Absolutely. universe going forward. And you can also take it back to Suicide Squad. That the movie that you know, I mean, that the trailer for Suicide Squad was cl- more of a Marvel trailer than the movie that they Absolutely. had in the can. And the reshoots, the, yeah. the whole thing with the reshoots. Yeah, the, the the whole thing is. It feels like. The DCU is moving towards you know more of a the place where Marvel already is, and and it, they don't have to be. We don't have to call it derivative if they're moving towards better movies. Then I, that's great. I think you make a good point with Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman is the first DCU movie that doesn't feel reactionary hmm. to something else that has happened. Suicide Squad felt like it was very influenced by the success of Deadpool, which yeah. seemed to really shake uh, the entire genre, really, and. Batman versus Superman is interesting because in Man of Steel, Superman has to stop like these, you know, giant uh, robotic uh, world killing machines. And in the process of the battle with Zod and trying to stop these machines, uh, probably causes the deaths of several million (laughs) people throughout Metropolis. And this was criticized roundly by people who love the characters. Like, no, Superman would move the battle offshore, somebody fight over the ocean, something like that. And then in Batman versus Superman, there is so much... uh, there's so much detail added by like the newscasters. Oh, they're fighting over a totally abandoned part of the city. <laughs> yeah. There's no one living there. And, like that kind of thing shows the lack of confidence that DC really has in its voice and what it is doing right now. And Wonder Woman is the first movie that they've made uh, since the Nolan films. That's like that understands what it is and what it's doing. It is not reacting to anything else that's going on. It's just really smartly constructed. I mean, yeah. you, you talked about, uh, you know, the tyranny of, of origin stories. I think that the, yeah. I you know, before before it was even a concept that you'd make enough movies to get away from those, the best superhero movies that, that have ever been made are the ones in where the origin story is tied in directly to the arc of the movie, to yeah. the villain of the movie. That Green Goblin was right. there for the creation of Spider-Man. That's so right. he's there. Hellboy 1, you know, like it's the Nazis or whatever. I mean, it's like it's when it's all tied in together, then you can actually 
put you can fit it in 90 minutes and it doesn't feel like you're just like dra- like dragging random villains in right. left and right when Joker I mean a little bit controversial but if the Joker's Timber the one that, that killed Batman's parents yes. then there you go you know I mean it it has to all sort of tie together um and you know Wonder Woman did a good job of that you yes. weave everything together the ones that are really successful you know do do that really well and I, I think that when you're you know when when you just have when you're when you're too preoccupied with everything else with commentary on your movies it's a real problem, and it's and I don't and again I don't know the corporate structures behind these behind these setups, but it really do, it really does feel like just a lack of you know I keep going back a lack of that that voice at the top who's just making right. these these level headed decisions. Right. Superman would not I, do this. It would be that cool. Kind of it thing. would yeah. be cool to blow up New York City. Maybe just let's not do it. <laughs> it's like with Suicide Squad, these are street level crooks, right? right. These street level villains. It's like Killer Croc and the <laughs> yeah. Boomerang or whatever. Hardy uses a baseball bat. Yeah. yeah. Like, why are they fighting an like a celestial god? Like yeah. this exact story could have been told with like, like low rent terrorists or something. You know, yes. like it's it could be the exact same thing, and they could, and and we could get the same. I mean, it, it would just be so much more believable. And it, the it, the way that they did it. Everyone over the age of five in that movie theater was like, "What? This is so dumb!" Yeah. Like watching it, just sort of guffawing at the, you know, at the climax. Um, maybe not five. I, I feel like you know, <laughs> nine. I, my my <laughs> my positive re- review of that movie was that thirteen-year-old David would have thought it was awesome. So like, I don't. I, I think that there are things that that movie does well. I think that they hit on something with Margot Robbie, and there's a reason that they're oh, yeah. they're, they're making yes. a Harley Quinn right. movie. You know, there there are certain there's a, there is something attitudinal that I think is effective. The storytelling is quite bad, yeah. and I think the storytelling is pretty bad in most of those films. Yeah, and that that's something that should lead into the conversation about Justice League because Justice League has a big task in front of it. It has to introduce and effectively sell you on at least three more characters mm-hmm. who are going to have their own films. Yeah, Cyborg, Aquaman, and the Flash. Yeah. And those, all of those characters, two of whom you may not really have a relationship with at all, right. are linchpins now in this universe. They have yeah. to be the Thor. They have to be the Captain America. And if they don't sell, if you don't buy, I, I can't name the man who's playing Cyborg, which is, <laughs> that's bad news. That's a bad sign. Wait, Ray What's Fisher. Ray Fisher. But he is, he is so subsumed um, under the, the weight of Affleck and Gal Gadot and all of the other noise happening. Was that a I, snide I think the, comment? I, I think the you. casting of Jason Momoa as Aquaman is, is trenchant. It's a trenchant criticism in and of itself because this is the thing that Marvel does is they're like, Ant-Man, dumb name. Yeah. Guess what? We're going we're gonna to lay into the fact that that name is dumb. Yes. We're going to really just double down on it. Hard turn right into the ridiculousness of that name. Will the DCU swerve into the fact that Aquaman is probably best known for for his relationship with fish? No. no they're no. going to go the opposite way. Go, gonna, like, let's cast the most macho guy we can. Let's to play make, heavy metal music. We have to. Let's make you forget. We're just going to, we're, we're not going to even call him Aquaman. We'll right. just put that in the, it's, but that's, that's, that's DC. I mean, that's not just DC. I don't want to, but it's, it's, it really is like, the, it, they insist upon their origin stories in a way that it, it's like Martian Manhunter's name is John Jones. Oh, but he's an alien. So we're going to like misspell it like J apostrophe O N N J It's like, it's like, no, like just don't lean into it anymore just yeah. wipe it away you have the power to do this you could just clean just clean the slate you know i don't fully comprehend the plan for dc yeah in general well, and i think we'll learn a lot when we see the movie but even still get, getting people it's not gonna be hard to get people excited about wonder woman 2 right it's probably not even gonna get, be difficult to get people excited about the batman which is matt reeves is sort of a detective story yeah. about the batman which may or may not star affleck but every other movie that is a part of this world 
whether it be a Suicide Squad spinoff or even the Flash movie, and I think Ezra Miller is pretty winning. Yeah. It yeah. is kind of up in the air. It could, it could, they could fail. Well, I mean, The Flash, uh, we have a track record with the TV show that the, there, there are stories you can tell. There's right. an audience out there. And I think that despite me saying before that, like, you know, how spoiled we are with, with good right, how there's not always good stories with all these characters, uh, you can kind of tell case by case, like, what what there's what, what stories we can tell based on which comics have been not just successful but interesting. You know, yeah. Thor— they figured out a way to make that story good, make yeah, him did. interesting in the comic books. Wonder Woman, since the new 52, has been, you know, there's been some really interesting stuff going on in that comic book. There have been some, you know, interesting Superman stories. It's He's difficult. Aquaman, <laughs> notoriously difficult, you know, unless you just really keep him underwater and tell like a, <laughs> you know, just a 1950s adventure I, tale with him or something. It's it's tough. I've always said that I think my, like the best uh, Aquaman move would be that, so it's the JLA, they're sitting in their satellite or whatever, and... Uh, uh, they're talking about what their next mission is going to be, and Aquaman is just like looks at Bruce Wayne after this is would be after the Dark Knight Rises says, "Do you know how many fucking fish died when you exploded that nuclear weapon <laughs> over the ocean?" That's like great. that would be incredible, right? Yeah. Like that's what they should do. But that you know, I I think you hit on something really interesting, which which is the difficulty in writing for Superman, essentially an omniscient, omnipowerful alien yeah. who can do anything. Um, and this is kind of like the standard critique in the in the Marvel versus DC debate that's gone back like to the '60s, which is uh, Marvel has these street level relatable characters. Yeah. Like Peter Parker is a teenager; he goes to high school. Um, Bruce Banner is just a mild-mannered scientist who becomes the Hulk. Uh, they have real-world problems; they have to pay the rent. Peter Parker is always like, "Man, I I don't have enough money to do yeah. stuff." Um, and then you go to DC, and it's like you know, Superman is an alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aquaman is a god. Uh, essentially, part, god. essentially yeah. a Wonder god. Woman's a god. Wonder Woman is actually a god. Yeah. Martian Manhunter, an alien. Um, and how do you make that relatable in a way that's mainstream? Now, some people would say that's overblown. These characters are obviously very popular and have like huge cultural relevance. But yeah, that I mean, it feels like that criticism is still valid. I, I think it definitely is. It, thre- think- it threatens the quality of movie right. because the story is more difficult to tell because it's more intergalactic or more superpowered by its very nature. It's part of the reason why Batman, I think, has been consistently the most successful character because yeah. he is the most groundbound. I will know? say that the I mean, I, if you if you want if you want to spend you know two minutes critiquing Batman movies in general, I think that regardless of what you think about the Nolan trilogy, I think Heath Ledger was is the main reason that we still talk about those movies at all in a positive way. I think Jason and I did so at length on the yes. rewatchables. Yeah, I mean, okay. and, the, and I think that it's, um, I think that the thing that, that, that a lot of people miss, because Batman is a super cool character, is that like what makes Batman interesting are, is the rogues gallery, yes. right? So yes. if you, I mean, if, if, if you made me Kevin Feige, the Kevin Feige of the Batman universe, I would say every Batman movie, I mean, we're, we spend so much time trying to figure out who's playing Batman, yeah. and we can we get him. Every Batman movie is a different director, and every Batman movie is a different I, genre dictated by the villain. That's a, it's a great point. Like Killer Croc is a horror movie, you know. Right. The Joker is the noir movie. Like everything has a completely different look, and it's about. I mean, the lights are turned down pretty low in all of them, but like the the villains are what matters, and Batman is, in a lot of ways, just like a real blank slate. I think it's a great point. It's something we talked about before we came on is that what would have happened if, if Heath Ledger had lived? What could their plans have been? Because so much of the character of Batman is tied up in his relationship with the Joker. Yeah. You know, they are two sides of the same coin and the Joker thrills in in pointing this out to Batman all the time. And and that's in every video game that they appear in, every comic they appear in, um, and, and, the, and in The Dark Knight. 
And then to not have that, to have that taken off the board, uh, it, you know, what could have been? We're going to see more of Jared Leto's Joker it's in the great. future. We can't wait. Just, uh, I'm torn on Leto, by the way. I think, I mean, I think that in some ways it's, it, it's the sort of like grunge, like like the gritty move. It is the '90s joke, but very... at the same time, because he's got the tattoos. Yeah, and he's yeah. very, But at the same time, it's a very like the level of star feels like a Marvel move. Also, it's an interesting move, at least. You know, it's not they're not playing it safe, and I and and so I think it could go. I don't love his interpretation, but I'm but I'm <laughs> I'm more I'm interested enough to keep watching. Let's let's talk about the other universes now. Sure. Let's very quickly talk about sort of the X-Men universe and, and its relationship to the Marvel universe. Because for years, these two things were sort of happening simultaneous to one another, but not interconnected, even though X-Men and Fantastic Four and Spider-Man right. are all properties that are, should be within the Marvel world mm-hmm. and have not been. Now, Spider-Man was, was with Sony, and Sony and Marvel have combined to work together. Mm-hmm. There were some rumors last week that Disney explored the possibility of purchasing 21st Century Fox, which would mean that the entire X-Men and Fantastic Four universe would become available to Marvel Studios, which would be a pretty cataclysmic thing. Yeah. That being said, the X-Men movies for the last few years have done an interesting job, I think, of telling classic comic book stories, but not totally satisfying with the way they told them. So Days of Future Past is the most recent story, I believe, or Apocalypse is the most recent story. Mm-hmm. And Days of Future Past before that, and even the Dark Phoenix Saga before that, which were all sort of middling to um, dissatisfying executions of these stories, so much so that the next one that they're going to tell is going to be Dark Phoenix again. And that's going to be with uh, your girl, Sophie Turner Turner from Game of Thrones. Big fan of Sophie Turner. Uh, Where is X-Men at? Does X-Men need Marvel to make sense? I keep coming back to the... uh, the casting decisions that are, I mean, and it's at the beginning, I don't mind any of the people who got the roles, but from the very beginning, it's the sort of like, yes, it's world building, but it's also a sort of self-defeating world building when like in the earliest movies, singer movies, when mutants that you clearly recognize were running across yeah. the scene in the back or would have three lines and it's like, wait, so does that actor who's clearly not, no one I'm ever going to see. Is he permanently Gambit now? Right. Or like what, whoever it is. is I mean, Ryan Reynolds or whoever going to be Deadpool with no mouth. Like it's yeah. it's good. It's very it's all very strange. And I think Days of Future Past, which I actually really love in a lot of ways. The arc it, or the movie? The, the, both. Well, both. But, yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm talking about the movie here. To not... To to not have the confidence just to tell the 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 comic book version of that story, and you can make changes. I'm not a purist or anything, but to it's like we have J Law under contract, so we got to figure out a way to get Mystique yeah. in a prominent role in this. We got, I mean, just to you, just to, to not have the confidence of your storytelling, of your ability to just like find the and and if you need J Law in something, just do another movie with her. But it's like they're on this really weird, like they got to cram everybody into everything, right. and it makes it all. It's not. I think that's the big difference compared to the mainstream Marvel Cinematic Universe is that they just have the confidence of the stories that they're telling. I think part of the problem with the X-Men universe over the past 10, 12 years, 15 years, is it's similar to the thing that was that bedeviled the comics, which is the kind of the tyranny of Wolverine, yeah. which is, 
you had to have him in there. Mm-hmm. He's the most popular character. He's the one everybody knows. Every teenage boy loves Wolverine. Yeah. And it just felt like you had to have Hugh, figure out a way to get Hugh Jackman in there. Yeah. Figure out a way to get Wolverine in there. So this year seemed to kickstart essentially the next phase of this stuff right. because of Logan, uh-huh. which was which by the way, Logan is incredible. Logan was great. We can all agree. Very good movie. But what yes. worked about that was we, I'm just going to take two of the characters, yes. and, and surround them with good supporting actors, That's and, right. and then just like let them have fun. Like yeah. we're going to just make them make the best movie we can with this, as opposed to trying to shoehorn everybody else into these movies. Completely agree, and I it feels like it maybe signaled, and I think it, that this started with Deadpool, the Ryan Reynolds yeah. standalone Deadpool movie, which you mentioned earlier, Jason, which just said, let's just tell the best story about this character that is yeah. true to this character. And I think Logan, which you know tells some of the story of the old man Logan uh, run, felt truer to what the character should be and right. obviously was just more cinematic in a lot of ways, yeah. too. And I'm curious to see, we now know that the New Mutants movie, which is coming out early right. next year, is essentially a horror story. <laughs> a very, yeah. very interesting trailer. Yeah. Uh, a very interesting trailer. And, and feels like something different. And like I said before, I think harkens back to that Blade feeling where it's right. just a genre movie. And if X-Men movies are genre movies going forward, I, I would think that would be interesting. I don't, Jason, would you be into that? I would be into that. I, You know, the, the mutants were kind of my gateway drug into comics. I loved X-Men. I loved the New Mutants. Yeah, me too. Uh, the thing that's great about them in the in the comics format is, you know, they're in school. It's this relationship between schoolmates. It's very much a soap opera drama with some, like, action scenes grafted on top of it. There's unrequited love. There's, like, the spurned lover. There's two people that don't get along. Uh, there's, you know, the uh, friendship drama who's friendship drama in terms of who's in and who's out, who's not friendly. Then there's uh, always the mutants who just look very different. So it's uh, it really worked well in that school type of format, teenage storytelling. And I think they've really struggled to translate that to the screen in a way that feels timeless. In in theory, X-Men and New Mutants would be a TV show. I mean, New Mutants is a TV show now. Gifted, but, yeah. Is that what you're talking about? No, but no, I'm talking about, I, I was talking about the, the movie that's, yeah. The, yeah, the 2018 coming up movie. But like, it the way that X-Men is set up is is very much different than the Avengers, who are these solo characters that get together to defeat yeah. uh, great evil or threats to the to the globe. The X-Men, they all live together in a house, yeah. essentially. Like, this is a soap opera. This should be a TV show. So it's, it's very interesting to see that group of characters kind of run up against not only the trends in movies, but the trends in the way a story like that would be told yeah, today. And, and this is, I mean, this is well-trod territory, but, like, why do they all live together in this giant mansion? It's, to right. one... Because they're all social outcasts, and right. two, to train you to use your power so you don't blow up the world. Like right. this is like we're these are like living time bombs. Each one of them, you know, they all have they all have like their separate issues, and so there's a lot of kind of inherent uh, interest in the story there. And so it's like, I, like honestly, I read every X Men comic book for yeah. you know growing up for a decade or more. Um, I, I like I f- I would forget the storyline from issue to issue. Like you know, it's a four issue story arc. We're like out in the you know. Like in space with 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 you know I don't even know I mean it'd be like we were fighting apocalypse somewhere we're right. fighting Mister Sinister whatever I don't I could never remember what was going on the brood maybe you know whatever right. but 
I did remember like the relationships, what was that's happening what at the school. Yeah. Like those are the, when they're playing softball, as corny as it stuff. is, that's the most interesting stuff. To me. Yeah, it's, uh, Joss Whedon. It's funny because Joss Whedon, for me, wrote what is I think the best standalone uh, X Men arc. His Astonishing X-Men series, yeah. uh, the first three graphic novels, which is a collection of like the first, whatever it is, 20-something issues of the Astonishing X-Men series. And he's really the first guy that captured uh, what makes Cyclops an interesting character. You know, Cyclops uh, in the movies has been this kind of, you know, Debbie Downer, just very controlled, not a fun guy. Why is he like that? Because every time he opens his eyes, he threatens to kill everyone that he cares about. Yeah. You know, if he's not wearing his glasses, he opens his eyes, you're dead. It's a stressful he, he job. Just, he destroys the entire mansion. Sort of the Sean Fennessy. I have a lot of empathy for <laughs> Scott Summers, I gotta be honest, and uh, that's a, that is my cross to bear. And, and Joss Whedon really captured that about that character uh, in his astonishing X-Men arc. Yeah. And then you look at the movies, uh, X-Men Last Stand, uh, you know, like kills Cyclops James Marsden off in the first 30 minutes of the movie off screen. You don't even see it happen. Well, but yeah, and before that, they just let him be a downer without any of like the right. without any of the explanation, without right. any like reason to get to like him or whatever. It's just, yeah, it's it. it you you got everybody has to have a reason to be on screen. This yeah. is basic movie stuff, you know. That's a it's a great position to put us in for Marvel now. Yeah, everyone has to have a reason to be on screen. Yeah, except Chris Hemsworth and Chris <laughs> Evans may not have a reason to be on screen anymore because there won't be any more money for them on Robert a contract, Jr. or they may make a choice yeah. to do that. And Downey, as you mentioned, probably will come for a paycheck, but maybe not. We don't know. We don't know what Mark Ruffalo's future is as the Hulk. We don't know if Black Widow will get her own movie. And if she doesn't, will ScarJo be around much longer? The future of the MCU is the most interesting to me for a number of reasons. One, I like those movies the best. Two, they're the most successful. Three, they kind of dictate the future of a whole galaxy of born movie stars now. Let's talk a little bit about the movies that they're going to put out next year. Um, The most anticipated by far, maybe the most anticipated ever, I think are kind of coming in in, in succession. One Black Panther in March, yeah. two Avengers Infinity War, the third Avengers film, I believe in May. These two movies, there's a lot riding on both of them. Yeah. One, you've got Ryan Coogler as the filmmaker, first black filmmaker to make a superhero movie in one of these worlds. All black cast. A- another character who is canonical but not necessarily completely beloved except for right. in recent times when ta Coates took on yeah. the character and created a whole new int- level of interest in him. And I wouldn't say that there's a lot riding on it per se. I certainly don't think it's going to fail. In fact, I think it's going to be hugely successful. But whether Chad Bozeman can be the Chris Evans or what have you, I think is very relevant to this conversation. And then let's talk a little bit about Life After Infinity War. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's, you know, Hemsworth, Evans, Robert Downey Jr. is 52 years old. They've been doing this for 10 years now. Plus, the bench is thin, Black Panther certainly looks to be the best bet to carry the series into Phase 4, would it be? Phase 4? I don't this? know what they'll call it, but something like that. Right? I mean, Captain Marvel is <laughs> set in the 90s or the 80s or the 90s? Yeah. Is it, it's, well, who so knows? How that connects to the wider MCU is, is unclear. Ant-Man and Wasp, are they the people that are going to carry your, your film franchise and film universe going forward? Evangeline I would bet Lilly on it. And, and Paul Rudd. Yeah, That's my knows. nominee for the first time. We're like, is this going to be okay? Yeah. So, so Avengers Infinity War is not just like the final team-up movie of this cast. It's also the movie where um, you would imagine they're going to start to hand the torch off to this other generation right. of superheroes that's going to come up and carry this forward. Infinity War is 
I mean, has a lot has a very obvious parallel in the in the physical comic book world, you know, the comic right. the comic world, not the movie world. I mean, and it's based on a giant comic book crossover, and yeah. that's what this is. And these big crossovers are both a moment of like great gratification as a big fan, but they're also almost always universally despised because it's just <laughs> it's just like it, it can never live up to anyone's expectations, let alone everyone's expectations. This movie could be good and fine. Um, I think you're, what you're saying is right. The most interesting thing is, do we does this A, just sort of generally set the stage for what we're moving forward to do, or B, does it just do like a hard reset of, you know, there is a flash across the screen and Captain America is being played by a different actor I mean, when we could, come that back. That could happen if he's, you know, if Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet, he could change reality in a way that changes the entire uh, setup of the Marvel Universe. Sure. Then do we go back to origin stories? Yeah, or do, I mean, <laughs> what Marvel's been doing in the, you I know, hope not. <laughs> well, Marvel's been sort of test marketing in the comic books over the past several years, right. this sort of next generation of mantle holders where there's uh, a female Thor, right. um, although Thor is still in the book. I mean, the character Odinson Thor, whatever, is still in the book. Uh, there's Riri Williams, is, it kind of took over as Iron Man for a minute now right. as a different, I know it's Iron Heart. Uh, Falcon took over as Captain America. Right. Amadeus Cho took over as the Hulk. Right. So it's sort of like there, it's this look to see like what the next phase could be if we just want to keep going without any sort of retconning. Right. Um, but just sort of give these these famous titles, famous names to new characters. You know, it's met with mixed success. I think it's hard to it's hard to imagine you know a marvel universe without a captain america that we know but in in comic books you know you can always sort of like take your medicine and or you know eat your vegetables whatever the right turn of phrase is and and keep going because you know that steve rogers captain america will be back someday right. he like, died he that, died after civil civil war yeah, for instance and inevitably he'll be back yeah um you know, so in that sense, I guess it makes more sense just to recast if you want to keep doing Captain America movies in a post-Chris Evans era. Um, as long as you have something to hold everything together, you know, Sam Jackson will still be still be playing his role until he's 500 years old, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I feel like they can make it work, but it's, a, but it's definitely a tricky situation. I don't think they're in dire straits. They have Tom Not Holland, yet. who is the star of Spider-Man Homecoming, who I thought was quite good and right. is a very credible Spider-Man. Chris Pratt, obviously, there will be a Guardians 3. Yeah. I, it's strange to me to think of Star-Lord as one of the primary figures yeah. in the Marvel movie universe, but that is, that is where we are. Um, I, 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 it still feels like there's something, something will be missing if they, if they integrate, I don't know what we would call it, like Vora, like value above uh, replacement right, Avenger, yeah. you know, like I'm not sure what will happen if they essentially attempt to recast the character with different actors and with a different persona. Well, the Avengers have been a lot of different, have meant a lot of different things over the years and they right. keep, in the comic books and they keep coming back to the sort of core five of Thor, Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk. Um, and well, I guess Vision and the Scarlet Witch are the two in the comic books. Right. That, that, but um, but you know, it's uh, it, it's it's. It, I don't think it. Uh, my guess is that they're not planning like a hard pivot, and it would be crazy to do it. You what? know, you can you can change you can change out a couple of characters and 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 hopefully keep moving forward. I mean, what's interesting is if this uh, the the Disney Fox acquisition does go through, then you might see something uh, akin to Bendis's New Avengers run where he. Took an entirely uh, diverse cat. He put uh, Luke Cage yeah. as basically the leader of the Avengers with Wolverine and with Spider Woman and with yeah. all these other characters that you would not think of being as Avengers. And really, if not the one of the flagship titles for the early aughts of, of Marvel Comics, could that happen? Maybe. I, it's it's interesting 
to watch uh, the movies drive creative on the comic side over the last five or six years. It is. But to, to go back to your question, I mean, I guess this is the general que- question that this whole conversation begs, which is, you know, what comes next? Right. Like, what's the future of these movies? We shouldn't. I mean, we've been talking about this for an hour, but you know, the place that we started is uh, when we talk, was Blade. You know, and 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 I think we t- we were talking before we started recording, but it, it it all it's often forgotten how insane Iron Man seemed at the time. You yeah, you totally, talked yeah. you, you you talked about that too. That how yeah, how we could have how how on earth did that movie make all that money? I mean. To take Robert Downey Jr. at that stage of his career, you know, a, the, you know, a director whose experience with Swingers and Jumanji, Favreau's great, we all love him, but still, I mean, the, to be helming a major movie, and Iron Man of all characters, Iron Man is probably the most, the highest Q rating for a character that nobody gave a flying F about in the yes. entire comic book world. It was wacky. Captain America obviously is very meaningful and is a big name character, but I think that the main, I think the big thing is that we don't need to get, despite the success of all these movies, we might not need to be get to that precious about do these characters keep going, do we reboot them, whatever. I think what Marvel's proven more, I mean, the most impressive thing is that what matters is Marvel. Yeah, you know what matters it's is the infrastructure. Yeah. Let me just say though that in the history of movies. These genres, and and I think specifically Marvel movies are now a genre unto themselves, Mm -hmm. are never more vulnerable than when they seem strongest. And so if you look at the history of, say, musicals in Hollywood, in the 1940s and the 1950s, musicals were incredibly powerful. And what happens is that they become more and more successful and more and more expensive – and then they become more and more essential to the day-to-day of the Hollywood system. And the minute you screw one up – and they did start to screw them up in the 50s – the entire genre unwinds and the key players in those fig- in, in those worlds become less essential. Mm-hmm. The moment that Kevin Feige missteps, right. there's going to be some doubt and complication well, in this if, world. If DC had been on the ball, then Marvel wouldn't have the latitude right now. Like the reason why we all saw Ant-Man and enjoyed it is because that was the superhero movie to see that weekend, right? right. If there was another option, it would have been a whole different story. And yeah, I mean, I think that going forward, there's always like as DC does more stuff, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do. If Marvel were really to acquire Fox, I don't know. I'm sure that they'd they'd coexist as separate divisions, but like, how many weekends does they does that parent company get to stake out over the course of the year? Like it's a every great one? question, yeah. yeah. Um, there is a parallel to your other uh, realm of coverage to to WWE and the the idea that somehow. This this product has been watered down because they stake a claim to a pay-per-view right. every other week. And so you're sort of like, well, what really matters here? Right. At what point does Ant-Man and the Wasp not matter as much as Infinity War? We don't have that feeling yet. And that's why Ragnarok mattering and being a hit is still mind-blowing until it doesn't work anymore. I mean, what I, the success of the DCU films, despite the critical whipping they take, I think when that stops happening – if, J- if Justice League is a flop, a true flop, um, I think that'll send shockwaves through the through the genre. Okay. Let me wrap with this. Yeah. I want to know from you guys specifically, what is the superhero story or figure that you want to see Ugh. get its own its own line? Wow, that's really tough. Yeah. For me, the real lesson has been much more into quality as I get older, you know, just finding mm-hmm. the right tone than anything else. I didn't have any... I mean, if you would ask me... Three years ago, if I wanted to see like a Daredevil miniseries, I would have said hell no. But it's yeah, you know, I, I just loved that. 
This being the big picture, we did not talk about any of the TV installations here, but there's uh, tons of television around these characters too. That's a whole other, yeah. that's a whole other series of podcasts. At, at this point, there's it's you kind of have to wall off the TV. Like it'd be fun to bring in like those kind of core Netflix shows to this conversation, but now with just like with sheet with all the kind of network shows, it's just there's just so much stuff. Um, and there's too much to watch. I mean, that's it's the same thing with the movies. Like we're just talking about, like how many they could possibly be under, you know, in one company. But like, even big comic book fans like me are kind of like picking and choosing which weekends we're going to go see these movies and which times we're going to wait for, you know, Netflix or whatever. Which one would drag you into the movies full immediately? <sighs> this is really hard. I don't have an answer right at the top of my head. I mean, I'm an old school X Men guy. I would love. You know, Logan was really fulfilling to me in a lot of ways, and I, w- and I would love to see a reboot of Wolverine kind of done with a little bit more of the genre flair the comic books had. Um, but, you know, he's sort of too big of a star, I think, for them to, I mean, too big of a character for them to take those sort of risks with. Uh, I don't know, Jason, do you have an answer for something you want um, to see? I have two, I, two answers. One is I'd, I'd go with maybe Image, and I'd say oh, something like Saga. Uh, absolutely. Which man. is a. Just a swashbuckling space odyssey love story. One of the really one of the great love stories of the past three to four years, just in terms of the way it depicts two characters, uh, the way people fall in love and then slowly fall out of it and then feel that ache of falling out of it. It's really well done and then set in this just wild environment of an intergalactic war between a planet and its moon, uh, between a technological base race and a one race that's based uh, primarily in magic. And then I would say, like, you know, like, do the X-Men right. I would reboot it. I would follow um, the blueprint that MCU did with with the Avengers, that they deployed to, to create the Avengers, which is base it on the ultimate universe X-Men. This is like the modern retelling of uh-huh. the X-Men uh, uh, universe. And just start it from scratch with the, with the core characters, maybe do, as solo standalone movies building towards a team-up. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the real, I mean, one of the real successful turns of, uh, spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't seen the new Tom Holland Spider-Man, but like the reveal of MJ, of Mary Jane at the, yeah. at the end of the movie was really powerful because the way that we've seen so many superhero movies in the past that wouldn't have been feasible because she would have been cast by an actress that looked more like like her and would have been shouted out from the very beginning right. because the fan service is more important than the storytelling, even if it's an Easter egg. The fan service ta- takes precedence precedent at the beginning. Um, and that that would be great if there were a way to do like X-Men from on, in like a slow burn where it was just a, car- a story about... It could just be a story about Wolverine or a story about Professor X, and you don't realize until the third act that this person you've been talking, he's been talking to the whole time is Cyclops or is whoever, you know? But I agree about Saga. It should be said that they said they're never going to do a, they're never going to sell, you know, an, do an adaptation that of just, it. That just means the money, that the check hasn't been uh, cut high enough. Yeah, there are no nevers in the superhero <laughs> world. Um, I'm still waiting for, as a Spider-Man guy, a Sinister Six movie, which I don't think will ever happen. This trio is not so sinister. David, Jason, thank you very much for doing this. Thanks for having us. This has been fun. Yeah. 